1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey everybody, my name is David Boris, And I'm Frankie C. And this is Everybody, everybody Sucks. Sucks. The podcast where we explore the struggles and triumphs of the journey from amateur to professional.
2: People think that artists are born great at what they do. But the truth is, in the beginning, everybody everybody sucks. sucks. Today's guest is Thomas J. Pino, a.k.a. Tom, a.k.a. Tommy, Tommy Pino, Tommy, Tommy Pino. Tom is from New York City. He is a multi-genre songwriter, producer, and artist. Mm-hmm. He spent years fronting the band Ghosts of Eden, touring with bands like I Empire and Saliva. He then spent four years in L.A. honing the craft of writing commercial music. While in L.A., he collaborated with producers like Apu Krishnan, who's written with Christina Aguilera and Got7, and Shay Taylor, who's written with Ariana Grande, Beyonce, Frank Ocean, etc., in 2018, he moved to Nashville, where he's been writing and producing for pop and country artists like Nice Horse, mm. Josh Ross, mm. J.J. Wild, mm. Dustin Bird, mm. <laughs> Kimmy Debro, and so many more. It's good to have you, Tom.
3: It's good to be had. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, buddy. I, I know so much of your story, but I feel like I haven't gotten to hear it all in one piece. So this is highly anticipated for me. Tell me a little bit about growing up in New York City. How did you get into music?
3: So yeah, growing up in New York was great. I was a baseball player. Nice. So like baseball was my jam. I thought I was going to be a pitcher for the Yankees one day, but I learned fast that I was not good enough to do that. Aww. So uh, yeah, I quit baseball going into college and... This is like the craziest story, but it's like one I will always remember. This dude I was friends with in high school left his guitar at my house. Then he like went away the whole summer. And I was like, all right, I'll noodle. And then at the same time, someone else left Metallica's Black album at my house. And I feel like it was just meant to be. I feel like those things were purposely left in my house. And the whole summer, I just became obsessed with Metallica that was the band that changed my life i write nothing like that today but i still love metallica
1: yeah was there music in staten island
3: there was like a little bit of like a hardcore scene like a post hardcore oh, scene cool. like metal and some of my friends were into that i wasn't i was always like a pop guy i think what like really got me into music is i lived in like a big house with my parents my grandparents my great-grandmother and my aunt wow my aunt she was like really into elvis it was actually like really weird in her room. She had this like Elvis shrine like in her closet, and she got like mad like if someone went in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was like not really a shrine. It was just like a photo, but it was like in her closet. I'm like, why keep it there? Just put it on the wall. Why anyway, not
2: keep it? there? I don't know.
3: I guess every time you like go to pick a new wardrobe, it's like, hey Elvis, she's dressing yeah. for Elvis. What should I wear
2: today?
1: Yeah, Elvis? was like, p- put on the blue dress, baby. <laughs> there you
3: go, nice. But yeah, like she got married, and when she moved out, she left me all of her stuff. Cassettes I'm dating myself, but it was all 80s stuff. I still remember it was like Depeche Mode and Culture Club and The Cure and Duran Duran and stuff like that. And Michael Jackson, you yeah. know, Billy Joel and Michael Jackson were like my first two musical obsessions to where I would just play it nonstop 24-7 all the time. And like a weird kid, look yourself in the mirror and pretend you're singing. Oh, yeah. Pretend you're famous and like stuff like that. And I used to do that all the time.
2: Didn't we all? Yeah, yeah. you know.
3: <laughs> yeah so i was just like really into like super catchy 80s stuff like new wave bands and stuff like that for for 12 year old in the 90s which is kind of weird never really thought of it much beyond that to be honest and then like i said this this dude in my high school left his guitar at my house like my senior year going into college like that's how late of a bloomer i was when it comes to like playing music i, don't know, I just picked it up and then when i went to college i i realized i wasn't good enough to play for the <laughs> for the yankees so my dad bought me a guitar and yeah i don't know i just. Started like noodling in college, and I was like, oh, this is fun!" And uh, realized I was getting more attention from girls than I ever got in high yeah. school. That's... And ladies, uh, say
2: it. do it, ladies. Thank you. <laughs> I,
3: yeah, it's not my own creative joke, but it's a uh, Dimitri Martin. He's like, if you add "ladies" to the end of anything, it automatically sounds creepy. So if you're like, "Help! I'm trapped at the bottom of a well," ladies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or like in your case, like you want to hear a song.
3: Ladies. Oh man, <laughs> that's good. You hear and me I'm play sure guitar? they were
2: like play Dave Matthews again. Yeah. <laughs> play Wonder Wall. Was this the typical like college party serenading girls on a guitar kind of? Oh no, scenario? I was too
3: I was too afraid to do that. No, I was this was me in my dorm just annoying everyone. I just became obsessed with playing guitar. Like I didn't think there was like a future or anything. I just knew that there was this relationship between me and this thing. Oh, that's cool. And I just needed to become good. I spent no joke probably 6 or 7 hours a day my freshman year playing guitar wow and my grades definitely showed like i thought oh man i almost failed out my parents were like super hard on me when i got to college and then when i showed them that they were like what have you been doing they thought i was like drinking all the time which i was but it wasn't yeah. that wasn't affecting my grade. <laughs> but it's college i mean it's yeah. college yeah exactly but yeah i was just like really shy about it like i didn't do open mics i was terrified of singing you know i was still trying to like find myself i really felt kind of lost in college i don't know, like right around that time and i think things find you literally when you need them mm. i met some friends who also played music and they were like yo why don't you come jam with us i was like cool sounds good this group from college turned into my first band which was called almost april okay oh i love that name almost april is a great name dude it was a great name oh my gosh it was march 31st and we were starting to play shows and we needed a name and it literally was 11 o'clock at night and like we don't have a band name we have like a show in like a week and i look at the calendar and i was like oh it's almost april literally that's how it came to me and i like (laughs) i like emailed the guys or something like that and they were like yeah, we love it. Let's go. You know, they like printed out flyers and all that shit. But anyways, so that was my first band, and it was like two of us that sang. But I, I think like really the other guy was the lead singer because I was just way too shy. And we would practice, and we would bring in songs and show songs, and then the guys would pick songs, and everyone would end up over time just picking the ones that I was bringing in. Oh, interesting. And and the other guy, he was like, dude, like you wrote them, just sing them. So I'd be grudgingly against like every ounce of my soul being and self-confidence became the lead singer in this band. And I was terrified, but all of a sudden out of nowhere, it just gave me purpose. And that's where I felt like, Oh, I'm meant to do this. Nice. So that was that band. It didn't work out. You know, everyone just grows up and does things. And I just felt like I had this like huge void. So my best female friend, uh, Jamie, she was like, Hey, start dating this dude. Like his band broke up, your band broke up. You know, want you guys just, I don't know, meet, hang out. She's like, I like him, I want you guys to be friends. I'm like, all right, cool. So went over to him and his buddy's place and in like one weekend we wrote three songs and it was dope and it was just immediate chemistry. Nice. You know, like a really good first date or something like that, you know. And uh we were like, Hey, we should like do something for real with this and it led to ghost of eden but in between those bands i was just writing and trying to figure out what i wanted to do and i wrote this really bad
2: <laughs> okay so this is from that area in between in between just kind of figuring it out yeah let's embrace the suck this is stare mm-hmm. The
0: verb.
1: There's those pop sensibilities that I know you for. I know. All those
3: internals, man. Why is there banjo in there?
2: Are those bongos in a parking garage?
3: I was like, this will be good with a banjo. never
0: ends.
1: Oh, man. Yes. That's so good.
2: Tom. <laughs> oh, I'm
3: so sorry for that.
2: <laughs> Don't be sorry. <laughs>
1: that song's sexy, man. Like, Explain to the listeners where we are in the song here.
3: All right. This, so... <laughs> So that's second verse, which hits about a a really sexy two twenty in. I'd probably get kicked out of Nashville if I showed up with a song where verse two starts at two twenty. Oh very God. meandering there. Oh I was when I was going through songs last night. I had one of my old band songs, and I was like, "What timing is this in?" And the cor- the chorus was in six eight, and the verses were in four four. I was like, "Yeah, progressive. You know what you're doing."
2: Is it funny how like if we tried to break out of the box and and be like that creative and avant-garde now, it would feel tough. Like when, when you're getting started, you can just think outside the box. You can be like, man, this banjo slaps in the chorus. Like why not put some bongos in a cavernous... Uh, reverberant space. <laughs> so, yeah. It's yeah. like,
1: uh, absolutely. That's so well said. It's like, oh the, the, the the less you know, the more you're willing to break all the there, rules because yeah. you're just like, you're like, no you just rules. don't know. You don't know there's like, not, not like, I hate to say there's rules, but you don't know like how to fit things sonically or like j- genre wise or thematically oh, yeah. together. So
3: you just don't know. So you're like, yeah, let's just do this. I wish there were rules when I did that.
2: <laughs> so were you recording this you know on your own or
3: No, I was with the I was with those guys.
2: So you guys all recorded that together. <laughs>
3: like a live off the floor kind of thing? It sounds like that, but no, I think there was an attempt to be on a click for w- that. Was <laughs> it a
1: studio in Staten Island?
3: No, it was my buddy's uh guest house behind his house, and, you know, like a studio in there. was my old drummer. It was a pretty dope spot. What are you thinking about when you when you listening to it? Actually pretty good memories cuz it, it was like a really good time in my life. Even though like Almost April was my first experience being in a band and being on stage. The Ghost of Eden phase was like really where things seemed possible and like dreaming actually was a part of my daily life, but also like the confidence and the belief that we actually had something that could break through. Maybe not that day, but uh, at least a couple of years later. (laughs) So give me
1: like a sense of what being in Ghosts of Eden was like in New York, you know, were you gigging all the time or what?
3: When we first started, I definitely could be difficult as a frontman (laughs) in hindsight. (laughs) I'm very self-aware of that. Uh, I put them through the ringer sometimes just because I I I was a perfectionist and I I wanted us to be really tight before we played. So we literally spent probably a year just rehearsing and writing songs before we played a show. And then, yeah, it was just play as often as possible. And you just go through the ringer of like, You know, first, you find a really small club usually and they'll put you on on like a Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Where like no one's going to be in there. It's dead. And they'll be like, all right, you got to bring 20 people. And so you beg all your friends to like stay after work for like another couple of hours to come see your band play for like a half hour at this like small club. And then if if it goes well, maybe they'll give you a Thursday night at like 9 and then you got to bring 30 people. And if that goes well, then it's like, cool, you can play first Friday night for like this show that we have once a month but you got to bring 40 people and then you do that and then from there you can use that to like email a bigger venue like you know Arlene's Grocery or something like that like that's the grind yeah yeah and we're talking this is like 2010 like Instagram and TikTok I don't think existed yet either really so like we were just relying on Facebook at the time and a thing called Reverb Nation, which you probably. Yeah, I remember Reverb Nation. Yeah, oh,
2: yeah. Were you like ranked like real high. On oh, the, yeah. oh uh, yeah. Reverb Nation rankings were like the major competition, I think. Oh,
3: yeah. Like. And you would like would fight to stay on that. And if you see yourself dipping, you're like, what are we doing wrong? But yeah, so like we became a part of this community called Gotham Rocks. I started to play bigger shows, which started to grow our fan base. And then through that, ended up getting a manager because she was involved in the Gotham Rock scene and worked for like a small management company in New York. Her name's Kimmy Hughes. Shout out Kimmy. I love you. (laughs) Boss lady. Just like put so much time into us and just getting us exposure and then would start booking us cool shows like little festivals at like a ski mountain and stuff like that. Just like random things to just get us in front of different audiences and like the guys in my band they all came from like the hardcore scene and I came from almost April was like power pop like third eye blind but we would always get booked with metal bands or like really really heavy bands and like every time we would get one of these shows we'd be like fuck we're gonna get like beat up or like booed off the fucking stage or something like that but they would always love us like the metal crowd loved us so i used to joke i was like yo we're like the sarah mclaughlin of the metal crowd like (laughs) oh that's great like everyone's got that one song you're like man i just like to rock out so my heart will go on you know nothing wrong with that (laughs) we're just the, we're the Celine for the metal crowd or the Sarah McGuagher for the metal crowd. But like, yeah so we we ended up getting some really good opportunities through that and getting some really good shows and building up like a really big fan base and then like the tried and true story of like you get a couple people who are like hey i really like what you guys are doing they try to put on a label showcase or get you a meeting and falls through and then you think you have another meeting and then it falls through and then you have a meeting that and you get a meeting and then you think that's going to lead to another meeting and then that falls through so like we did that dance for years like so close to being close to getting a deal and they would just always fall through you know and in hindsight i don't know i'm a big blue that whatever happened you know things happen for you not to you and like at, you know at that time I thought I was ready in hindsight honestly I don't know if I would have been ready for the success so I'm like in a
1: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
3: In a weird hindsight kind of way, I'm I'm kind of glad it didn't work out at the time. It's
1: interesting, knowing your story, you end up in LA and you end up not being a songwriter anymore. And that's kind of fascinating, knowing how much it means to you spiritually, yeah. artistically, creatively, psychologically. So how does that shift occur?
3: So yeah, the band ended in 2015, you know, for many reasons, you know, you know, like I said, like a lot of things like didn't work out. It was definitely my doing, you know, I just felt like I needed something different. Also, I was like in a relationship that ended at the time and that was hard on me and I just felt felt inside me. I just needed something different. So I moved to LA (laughs) like everyone else who's trying to find themselves. Um, (laughs) It was actually very interesting that I was going through an actual breakup and and a band breakup too, because I just felt like I couldn't look at my guitar. You know, you go through a bad breakup. It's like the last thing you want to do is date again. Right. So it's like, for me, I couldn't even pick up my guitar. I also like realized I didn't really have much of a life beyond it. So I, I moved to LA and I, I just hung out. Like lived on the beach, made some non-music friends, did some non-music things, went to museums, went to a lot of movies and just like lived a life that I hadn't really lived yet. I was working nine to five and advertising and it was a good job. And I was like, I guess this is my new life now. But I was miserable. I just felt like there was a void and i don't know when you're really at your most desperate time things just kind of find you without you having to go look for it and i uh randomly became friends with these two girls who introduced me to this guy who i'm still friends with today apu so we grabbed beers one day and just bonded over our love for metallica and he was a pop producer i just remember him going yo like here's a song i'm working on with this dude why don't you like take a listen to it i don't maybe like you know you can like fix some melodies and some lyrics on it. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, like, okay, sure. So did that. And then started to like, you know, send him some songs that I was working on. He's like, Oh, these are cool. You know? And I think he saw something there. And I, I don't think either of us really knew what was there, but he was like, dude, you write some pretty catchy stuff. And then I remember like one day spending like six hours in a studio. And he literally just him teaching me every single thing about, every single song that max martin ever produced literally we would like pull up songs he's like see how he does that there he's like yeah that's important and i'm like writing all these weird things down that i had no idea what the hell they were well i remember taking a work a workshop and um on songwriting and i think this is really the catalyst that made me start doing it now that i'm like talking out loud i remember like day one of this workshop this guy was like okay who wants to be like a commercial songwriter like who wants to write songs for people for for a living and I raised my hand and he's like, all right, from this, I swear those is the exact words. He's like, from this day forward, literally everything, every song you ever listen to must be top 40 pop or the top 20 country songs. He's like, and nothing else. I don't I care that. what, he's like, I don't care yep. what you like. He's like, make it secondary, tertiary, listen to it like a year from now. He's like, spend the next year doing nothing but listening to top 40 Uh, pop and top 20 country. I was just, I was like a buried myself in pop music and and country music. And I just watched every, every YouTube video on and bought every book on writing commercial music. (laughs) And I was just, I became obsessed. Um, this is the best way I describe it. I just became obsessed with with just becoming better. Um, just kind of became obsessed with that process and then, um, started making some trips out. To Nashville I would just come here and just try to make friends and just meet people the more I did it the more I would get opportunities that I couldn't take and I was like at a real crossroad where I was like well no I can't because I have a nine-to-five job I I wish I wish it was as easy as like, so I would quit my job. But like, I actually like got a life coach in L.A. And he was just like, listen, I'll help you however you want. But I think you should just take some time to really think about what do you really want? At the end of the day, if you had eight billion dollars in the bank, what would you do? And I was like, I would quit my fucking job and move to Nashville and just do music every day. And he's like, Ooh, well, then maybe that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and I think it just took me a really long time. I think that's when like that full circle moment, even though it was like years later, or a decade later, finally said, Oh, that voice you heard in your room that one day, it was right. That was telling you something. And I think I just finally decided to trust it. And I just got a game plan. I saved a certain amount of money, worked like another six months. Downsized my apartment, gave up every subscription you can think of to just save money for like six months.
2: All while living in L.A., which is All very while impressive. In L.A.,
3: which is very hard. Yeah, <laughs> I got very lucky.
2: So, so you're getting inspired by this life coach, these other writers. You're really starting to hone your craft and become a student of writing. Yes. When did you really start to get into production?
3: COVID, to be honest, mm. I I think I got gear my last year in L.A., but did like me like mediocre might even be really generous. When I say mediocre guitar vocals, like I was just plugging something in, just recording it just to like have something. But I was not good. I did not put time into like learning anything. I think I was just really intimidated by it, to be honest, because I would see my friends who were so good and there's eight billion buttons and eight, it's like being at a diner. I get like diner menu anxiety. It's like, <laughs> give me give me ten options. I don't need four hundred. You know what I mean? And so I was like, I don't know what this is just overwhelming. And so I just never really did anything. And then after I moved here, you know, I was writing and stuff and then and then COVID hit and obviously it was, you know, horrible, but in a in a weird way. I'm grateful for it because it just gave me time. I took this like little super rudimentary course online just to kind of get familiar with stuff, bought bought a logic book just to like learn shortcuts really fast, watched a bunch of videos, and then just kind of I, I learned best by just doing stuff and playing around until you figure it out. Like
2: I don't know, you had that uh logic uh, pro manual, yeah. dog-eared, like I have never seen, sitting on your coffee table. It, it looked like—I mean, it looked like you were reading the manual, like a college textbook.
3: I—I I was, yeah. I like highlighted a lot. That's really funny. You noticed that? Oh, um, I noticed. I was like, yeah. dang,
2: he's serious, man. He's really, really working hard.
3: Because I remember, I remember this dude in LA uh, that I worked with sometimes, and I remember he's like, dude, if you finally get into it, he's like, the key. He's like, your best friend will be logic shortcuts. He's like, before you do anything else, he's like, just learn that shit back like the back of your hand. I'm like, it was the best advice I ever got because, yeah, it saves so much time. I don't know. I just spent every day just noodling and just messing with stuff. And I would just tell people I'm writing with, hey, like, can I just take a stab at the demo? We don't even need to use it. Just let me like try it. And if it sucks, fine, we'll just hire someone. And like the first few, <laughs> obviously were not very good, but um, you know, but like the fifth or sixth one, you know, I would hear, yeah, this is fine. And I'm like, huh, guess I'm getting somewhere because they're not paying anyone to do it now. I was like, huh, maybe I'm onto something. People like you were very kind to give me a lot of tips, but yeah, just learning... and now
2: you give me tips. <laughs> I love it. That's very. I'm nice. like Tom. How do I fix this mix?
3: But yeah, learning from friends helps a lot too because they have the most patience for you. So like asking. Asking people questions. But yeah, that's how I got into it, just kind of like by chance. But I I do feel like um, it found me.
2: I look at you as this like musical guru. (laughs)
3: Wow. I talked
2: about that Logic Pro book on your coffee table, but like your coffee table in your studio (laughs) has some of the craziest books. Every time I'm in there, I have to look through them because I feel like there's so much wisdom in those books. This question is twofold.
3: I love it. I love it.
2: I'd love for you to explain a little bit of your creative process. Mm. Um, and then also, you know, what what are some of those books that you would recommend that really helped play into that creative process for you? Wow. I love
3: that. Um, there's no one way, which I think is the process. It's a mix between craft and chaos. I love that. You know, I'm big on just saying let's get weird, you know, and it's like and that's why I think like the more trust you have, the more comfortable you are, the more comfortable you are, the more vulnerable you are, the more vulnerable you are, the less rules you feel like you have to follow. So I think that's sort of my process. Yeah. And then books, The Artist's Way, I love that book. Um, Shout
2: out Julia Cameron.
3: Yo, for real, just started doing it again. I got a couple weeks left. And then I'm really obsessed with Rick Rubin's new book. And I feel like. Everything he talks about, I'm on board with. Like, I mean, I I feel like I agree with 95% of what he writes.
1: I feel like you and Rick Rubin are on the same spiritual level.
3: I'm manifesting. Like, I just want a day with Rick Rubin where we just meditate together, talk about life and music. And what I love the way he writes it, it's like every chapter is only like three or four pages and it's like this small little subject. So I feel like... It's
1: like his meditations.
3: Yeah. It's like his meditations or like the Tao. You know, sure. it's like every yeah. every day is like a little snippets that's another book that i really love the dow yeah this is a
1: great segue into the big question if you could tell your younger self three pieces of advice what would they be
3: number one everything will be okay Hmm. number two trust your intuition it is right 150 percent of the time 150% of the time, all the time. All the time. 0% of the time, it's wrong. Um, And three, pay attention. That's great.
2: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank
3: you. I hope this was uh, fun. This (laughs) has been
2: so awesome. We have a song that we're going to play here coming out. Tell us a little bit about some of the new music that you're going to be putting out.
3: Not sure we're going to do with this one yet, but uh, this song is called Body Count. I wrote this one with my buddy Colin Rowe and Tyler Bank. We have this pseudonym called Moments that we create some songs under. And uh, it's it's kind of like a passion side project that we do while we're always doing stuff for other people.
2: Okay, so here is Body Count by Moments.
3: And for our listeners out there, I'm David Boris.
2: And I'm Frankie C. And remember, everybody, everybody sucks. sucks.
0: It's so criminal to be against the law. Got me thinking, I want to push you up against the wall Like a waterfall, watch that dress fall down, down We know everybody talks, but they don't gotta know, know And we don't need to tell nobody, count on me to keep it quiet We need tell nobody. Call Call me. Call Call me. Call. Call. We don't need to tell nobody. Call. 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 Meet me in the bathroom. Got a window when it's open, we can climb through. Got a coop in the drive with the moon room. Got a back seat big enough for me and you, me and you, me and you, you and me in heaven, breathing heavenly. Hard to breathe, windows up, fogging up the glass, so they never see. Fogging up the glass, so they never see to tell nobody count on me to keep it quiet down low key close your eyes count two three i know how you like it it's just a you and i thing and we don't need to tell nobody you what i mean baby i'ma be then one two three and And we we don't need need to tell nobody count on me to keep it quiet down low key close your eyes count two three i know how you like it it's just a you and i thing and we don't need to tell nobody count
2: nobody